Hey, Nana Visitor here. You know me as Kira Norris on DS9, and you're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz, and welcome to Trek Untold episode 100. I cannot believe we are here. You know, I think I said that again at like episode 50 when I talked about how I couldn't believe we were at episode 50, but yeah, I can't believe I actually made it to episode 100, and you did too. So first thing before I go into anything else in this show, I have to give you a big thanks. It's thanks to listeners and audience members like you who keep coming back each week to check out what we're doing, meet our new guests, hear their stories, and support this podcast. It's not a lie when I say I can't do this without you and your support. And that's why I want to show my gratitude before I even do anything else on this big episode 100 to you. And since this is episode 100, I had to go big, as big as possible, to make sure this was a truly memorable experience for all of you out there, including myself. And that's why today I am very elated to present to you this discussion I had with none other than Kira Norris herself, Nana Visitor. And I can tell you right now, I got goosebumps as I even just mentioned her name and think back to the fact that I got to spend an hour with Nana Visitor, which is absolutely surreal to me. One of the coolest things for me about this podcast is the fact that I have the opportunity to spend some time with folks who I've seen on TV or who I've seen their career in other various ways, depending on what they do, and I have a chance to really spend some quality time with them, and in turn, share that quality time with you as well. And Nana was easily one of my favorite interviews of all time, and she is easily one of my favorite female characters in the Star Trek universe. Nana, of course, was Kira Norris for all seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and she had quite a journey on that set, as we're going to hear about today. And you know how Trek Untold always has kind of a habit of getting a little bit heavy when it's not even expected to get heavy? Well, that's very much, oddly enough, how this interview with Nana turned out, too. Playing the character of Kira Norris was a very difficult ordeal at times for Nana, because this character has so much trauma built into her story. It was impossible for Nana really to not feel that weight in any way whatsoever. So, yeah, as it turns out today, we talk a lot about the trauma of playing Kira Norris and how Nana, as a human being and a person, survived this character through those seven seasons. But don't you worry, it's not going to be all super-duper heavy stuff, although to be fair, it's DS9, so, well, you know that means it's going to be pretty heavy no matter what. But hey, we're not just talking about trauma this week, because we're also talking about some other really key episodes that have Kira in them, some fun action figure stories, and some other interesting parts about Nana's career that I also wanted to chat about. And in particular, one of the reasons I did reach out to Nana was because of her Instagram page, and that page is where she gives a lot of life stories and life lessons that she shares with all of us out there, which I believe are very, very important and things that Trekkies should hear every single day. They're not necessarily easy things to hear, but they're always very necessary to live, to feel better about yourselves, and just to become a better human being. So I hope you enjoy this hour with Nana Visitor, because man, this was a real fun one. We went to some avenues I did not expect to go down, but I'm happy that we did, and I hope you enjoy them too. And hey, make sure to stick around after the interview, because we're going to talk about what's happening next for Trek Untold, so you don't want to miss that. But before we start talking to this week's guest, I want to remind you guys to make sure you are following Trek Untold on all forms of social media. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Trek Untold, and that's one word, Trek Untold, no spaces in between. That's the best way to stay up to date on who our guests are for the week, learn all about them before the show begins, and check out all the random memes I post, because yeah, I do a lot of that too. If you're in a position to financially support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon member. Head over to patreon.com slash trekuntold to see all the different ways you can help financially at different contribution levels. 
Some of the perks include early access to the episodes, having the chance to ask guests questions, and hopefully some more stuff that I'm going to figure out pretty soon. It is easily the best way to directly connect with me, as well as to meet other fans of this show. If you're looking to buy some Trek Untold merchandise, don't worry, that's going to be coming very soon. If you prefer to check out the video version of this podcast, head over to youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday, where every Sunday I post these episodes in video format, which includes a lot of images and video from the guests I were talking to. But the most important thing you can do to help support this show is please leave us ratings and reviews if you're checking us out on iTunes, on Spotify, or other audio platforms that allow you to leave reviews and ratings, or by subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as giving our Trek Untold videos thumbs up, likes, and comments. All these interactions help push our podcast to the very top of these different platforms to make sure more Star Trek fans can find us. It costs you nothing to do other than a few moments of your time, so please, if you haven't done that already, consider doing so. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold, and right now I'm going to try to contain myself from totally geeking out, but joining us today on the other side of the screen, we have, you know her as Kira Norris from all seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. To me, this is just someone that I'm just already freaking out over. Oh my god. We got Nana Visitor, folks. Nana, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Matthew? I'm happy to be here. I am very, very excited, as you can tell. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to do my best to hold it together. I make no promises. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we got a lot to talk about here. Plenty of Trek things, as well as a few non-Trek things. Um, but uh, I'd like to actually start this with a question I-, I like to ask all my guests, and I'm very interested in hearing your answer on this. Uh, Nana, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? My earliest memory of Star Trek, I was a chorus girl on Broadway, and every night before I went to the theater, which of course was kind of early, I watched uh, the original Star Trek on uh, Channel 11. And I don't remember the apartment, but I remember the tiny TV, and I remember I sat on the floor in front of it and ate my dinner and then went and did my show. That's right. You are a New Yorker. So it's really funny hearing you say you watch Channel 11 because I'm like, yeah, that's Pix. That's the uh, same channel I watched on. Yeah. <laughs> so we should also add right now that you're working on a really cool Star Trek project. Uh, I believe it's with Hero Collector, right? Uh, it's called A Woman's Trek. And uh, for those who have had their head stuck in Odo's bucket for the past year or so, uh, would you mind just telling us a little bit about what that project is and what you're doing? What I'm doing is looking at the 55 plus years of Star Trek and the women who were a part of it, how they affected the culture, how they affected women who watched the show, at the same time looking at how the culture, those women on the shows, the, the culture that they were caught in, uh, how how they lived through it, how that went for them. And I'm interviewing uh, people in front of the camera, behind the camera, the people who watched the show. I am interviewing Samantha Christopheretti in a couple of days, and I am so excited. She's coming over to my house, and I'm like, talk about geeking out. I just cannot believe it. The European Space Station astronaut. And, you know, I've talked to so many astrophysicists at this point. It's like, I, I feel... Somehow, I may be a scientist, too. I don't know. It's just like it's my people now. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool to hear. And I can tell you're having a lot of fun doing this project. Uh, so I was wondering, though, is this going to be a book? Is it a documentary? Uh, what, what exactly is the project? I thought it was a book. So you can correct me if I'm wrong here. We're doing both at oh, once. Both. We're filming all the interviews. 
And it's really interesting. I mean, there, you know, how many stars are there in the sky? That's how many kinds of feminism there are. Everyone has their own version and what they what they think are the salient points. And I'm really learning as I go. It, you know, there are many ways to uh, look at a woman's trek, the title. But one of them is that it's my journey in all of this and understanding the cultural um, kind of currents that worked against women in the business and in life and the what what what's gotten better what hasn't what's unbelievably improved what's still there yeah, I mean, it even seems like even during the time when you were doing Deep Space Nine, in a lot of cases when it came to uh, like women's rights or women being in film and TV, it was always like one step forward, maybe two steps back. I mean, is that kind of the consensus that you've heard? Uh, yes, but what I think is uh, the biggest change, like when I talk to the women on Discovery, uh, is an awareness of it. I mean, that's half the battle. It, you can be so cult caught in the culture and what the culture demands, you don't even know that you're living a life that is determined by what is allowed and what isn't allowed. It becomes normal that you don't go out after dark because it's too dangerous for a woman alone. You know, these these things that constrict our lives, just looking at it, just being aware makes a huge difference. And also talking about how we're doing makes a difference. Well, I cannot wait to see this book. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to see the documentary and how it all comes together. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping right now that this episode goes so well that you'll want to come back and talk about that when it does come out. But uh, we'll deal with that, I guess, whenever that happens. It sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a yes already. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got a few things to ask you, Nana, before we get into all the deep dive into Star Trek here. And uh, this might surprise you to know, but on this show, we talk a lot about Murder, She Wrote. Because it's a thing I really am into, and I love talking to all the guests I have on the show. Because so many of them, you know, if they were in '90s Trek, they were probably in Murder She Wrote. And when I did my research on on you, I watched the episode, and you're in an episode, but you didn't get to actually act with Angela, so I was a little disappointed. But then I did my research, and uh, you were in a touring production of Gypsy with Angela Lansbury. Oh my God, you were touring with the Queen herself. So please tell I... me what it was like to work with Angela. Well, I was 18 years old and pretty new, obviously, to the business, and she taught me. She taught me not only by watching her on stage, but literally said, this is how you do this. Uh, generous, uh, beyond belief to teach a young actor. And it certainly made me feel like, oh, I can't wait for my time. I can't wait to you know, pay that back to, to other women. She was, she was amazing. Absolutely amazing. She is amazing, but she was amazing to work with. And that's pretty much the thing I hear all the time whenever we talk about her. And it's always impressive. Each time I talk to someone and get a new story about her, it's always more impressive. It's like, you know, the, the kindness that she showed, the generosity that she showed, it didn't matter if you were a legend or if you were a new person, she basically treated you the exact same way. That's, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? It it is amazing. It's so generous and so huge. And I got the pleasure to see her in Sweeney Todd, where she was just astounding. She ripped up the stage. She was so good in that. I'd say she was great in Gypsy. She was better in Sweeney Todd. I mean, Sweeney Todd is her role. I mean, you, you can't ever top her. I that's how I feel about it. 
So I'd love to know, I mean, you know, this is a pretty young age that you're working with her. So in terms of like, maybe let's say life lessons or even, you know, acting lessons, but I'm curious to know, what's something that she taught you that you still remember to this day and that you, you use and feel to this day? The discipline, the discipline of uh, counting your steps because you have a performance that night. The discipline of all the uh, all the focus on what you do during those one and a half to two hours and how you um, are like an athlete. And she treated herself like an athlete. And I certainly l- learned that from her. Yeah, she really flexed her muscles. That's a good way to put it. Mm hmm. Now, since you are Mama Nana on Instagram, uh, I wanted to do something today nice for my mama. Um, so you appeared in two episodes of MacGyver, which is one of her favorite shows. She's a huge Richard Dean Anderson fan. I just rewatched your episode, so I would love to hear if you have any stories about working with Richard Dean. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's kind of a story. He's lovely. He's warm and he's a he's just a lovely man. But from, I, I can't, The first one I did was early in the run of that show. And I remember there was a camaraderie between uh, the actors and the crew. And they were singing songs and enjoying what they were doing as they went off in a truck. You know, it was some kind of war song. I can't remember uh, what it was, but there was an ebullient uh, air. (laughs) And then... And then, <laughs> and then this was, you know, this was TV, you know, episodic TV, a grind. And when I came back the second time, actors didn't come out of their trailer when, when action, you know, action was called, where are they there in their trailer? The grips were, you know, had unhappy faces and were tired and napping. Look. I, I I knew it then and I learned it big time during Star Trek. Those years, it, doing 26 episodes, it was insane. Everyone is sleep deprived. It kind of reminds me of a story that Patricia Tolman, uh, Patricia Tolman told us here on the show. And uh, that was like basically her mental health was in such bad shape because of how hard she was working. Even if it was, you know, not on Star Trek, she was still hustling everywhere else, taking so many jobs. And yeah. mental health wasn't really a thing that was considered in those times. So, um, you know, I guess kind of over overall question, how did you keep yourself together during those real tough times? I didn't. I absolutely didn't. Uh, I ground myself down to the bone And uh, I had a three-month-old child when I started DS9. So right off the bat, and then I had another one during the show. So right off the bat, I was like amazed I got the job because I had an infant. And it was like, I've got to kind of keep that quiet and not bother anyone about that. And then I felt like, well, if anyone is going to suffer. It's going to be me. It's not going to be my child and it's not going to be the show or my work on the show. So, and you know how well that works. It doesn't, it's not sustainable. You're, you're, you're running hard for a cliff and you are going to go off it. And uh, it wasn't just the work, interestingly enough, But it was also playing a traumatic character. And I took a deep dive uh, in recent years, really looking at what trauma playing someone uh, does to a person. 
And, you know, what what MRIs show, what happens to the brain when you're playing a, a character. And uh, actors really need more protocols and more awareness of how to get in and out. That's what they need the most. Now, when you say in and out, do you mean in and out of the character to kind of distance yourself from it? Or do you mean in and out of the industry? I don't mean, no, I mean the character. And I I don't mean distance yourself from the character. I mean, um, make it clear when you are this person and when you are yourself. Because think of it, you know, when you start to think a different thought, your brains, the synapses start forming. In many ways, Kira really I form synapses that serve me to this day. Uh, there are character traits of hers that I now have, and that's great, but also her trauma. So, um, you know, your nervous system doesn't know the difference between a thought from a character and a, and a thought that's your own when you're acting, or at least that's been my experience. You will tear, your heart rate goes up, all those things. That's trauma to the body. That's that's a wear and tear if it goes on day after day for hours at a day. And it's kind of funny, you know, you and I didn't really discuss what we we're going to talk about during this episode, but my question list is actually uh, kind of about more of the traumatic episodes for Kira, because I'm really curious to hear about that, because, uh, you know, just, just looking forward a little bit, you've done such an amazing job with some of those very heavy episodes, and I'm very curious to get your take on how you handled those. Um, but before we even get into that, I'm wondering, how did your interpretation of Kira, let's say on season one, how, what was that? And then how did it change by the time you got to season seven or even today here in 2022? Well, I didn't have a, a, a term for it, but I would say that I understood that this was a person who had post-traumatic stress and would be reactive and would hide a lot of other emotions underneath anger and uh, and certainly hide her fear. So that was the start. Uh, that's where I started. And I would say the seven years were a slow healing uh, process. And her, you know, DS9, it, it, People always say, well, you didn't go anywhere. Yes, we did. We made the amazing leap between people, between minds and hearts. Uh, it was a show about relationships. So um, her building her community and learning to trust again was her big journey. I like how I started asking about MacGyver. Now we're getting to the trauma. So that's, that's like still weird way to get around this, but uh, we're definitely going to come back to that point because uh, that, that's really int interesting to hear though. Um, but I'd like to get a little bit more obscure before we go back to the Trek stuff for a second, because I was digging and I like to dig on Trek Untold. That's why we call it Trek Untold. I've got some obscure stuff. I think I've played bugs in indie <laughs> films three times. Oh, I've got some questions for you about some other things. I mean, I'm going to probably save it for another day. <laughs> all right. but, oh man, I mean, go, go, we're... Matthew, go on. All right, all right, we're gonna we're gonna dig deep here. So I was looking on the old IMDb, and I found a series that kind of led me down a rabbit hole. I never knew this existed. Uh, you were in this show, the, the TV series based on the film Working Girl, and I don't know if you know Nana. By the way, the entire series is actually on YouTube. You can watch it there if you haven't seen it. No, I didn't know it was on. That's it's actually so there because I went looking it up, right? I wanted to see what the show was. I go look at it on Google and all of a sudden there's Sandra Bullock because Sandra Bullock starred in a sitcom. And I never knew this. <laughs> That's yep. 
That's amazing. So uh, I would love to hear. I mean, you know, again, I wish you mentioned you were Bryn Newhouse. That was your character, and you were uh, a lovely blonde. <laughs> yes, and uh, lovely blonde with shoulders that were, you know, you couldn't go through a doorway with. Turn yourself to get through a door. Yeah, those are impressive shoulder pads. Uh, That's right. So That's I would right. love to hear what it was like working with uh, a very young Sandra Bullock on this show. Uh, when I see her in interviews now, uh, I go, well, she hasn't changed at all. <laughs> she was uh, down to earth. She treated everyone with dignity and respect. She talked to every crew member and would probably go out to dinner with them before anybody else. Um, and and sometimes there's this weird hierarchical thing that happens on sets. I think less and less, but certainly back then it it was true. And she wasn't, or, you know, young women who are number one on the call sheet, who, you know, will take care of themselves by putting music on and not coming out and not talking to me. She was on the set talking to everybody. She was open and lovely and was doing her brand of acting already. She was doing that very natural thing, which wasn't sitcom. And no one knew what to do with her. It was like, this doesn't mesh. You know, we were all doing that tonal thing of, you know, sitcom. And she wasn't. She was just truly there. It was really lovely. Yeah, you put that into wonderful words there. Because I, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching some of the episodes. It was like, it felt like she was doing her own thing. It still fit into the world that you guys are doing, The Working Girl. But she was just kind of being Sandra Bullock as we know her today. It's kind of amazing that she knew herself so young. Yeah, amazing. Really amazing. Yeah, and we're going to save... Uh, I got another obscure one for you. I'm going to save it for hopefully next time I chat with you. I've got one that's a real deep dive, but... Uh... I've got one for you that I know you cannot find anywhere. Oh, okay. I did a series when I was 18 again, or yeah, close to 18, um, called Ivan the Terrible. And it was all in the family, basically, but set in Russia. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you, you'll never find that one. That sounds like a challenge. I mean, there's another one I'm going to, I'll throw it out to you right now. I was going to consider asking you about, uh, that's O'Hara because, uh, that is a real obscure one. And I'm kind of obsessed with that show. Well, and Denise Crosby was on the same episode. She was trying yeah. to kill me. Yeah. That's fun times being chased by Tasha Yar. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad at all. I remember. And again, another woman who is exactly the same. I just interviewed her for the book and she is as lovely and down to earth and open and sweet and self-reflective as she was that night. I think we were on PCH somewhere uh, and it was a dinner that I got to meet her finally. And and we just it was like, I like this woman and I still do. So you probably didn't really have much of a chance to I guess, talk to her back then, right? It was probably just work, work, work. So it was, I'm just kind of, you know, going back to your book now and your documentary. Is this kind of the first time you've really had a chance to hang out with a lot of the women of Trek? Well, no, because conventions are a wonderful thing. And Denise and I are going out on the cruise at the end of this month, which we have done before. And we are dangerous together. We have way too much fun. <laughs> so, no, uh, some some of the women, some of the women from the other shows, it is my first opportunity. Some of the uh, guest stars, like um, France Nguyen, that I interviewed from the original show, 
I, of course, I didn't know anything about them. And it was amazing to learn these women had huge careers. It wasn't like, oh, that's their claim to fame. No, as uh, you know, they, they had enormous careers, but um, it's the first time we've talked about, it's the first time I get a chance to talk to Denise about what it felt like to be a woman in the business how was it on to be uh, in Playboy? What did that mean to you? You know, to to do those kinds of deep dives with women that I know, it, it, that's even better. Yeah, I've got to tell you, Denise is like someone that's on the top of my list for people I want to talk to you on this podcast. Because uh, again, her career is so much more than just Star Trek and there's so much to it. And uh, I'm very oh, yeah. excited to see what you pull out of her. Yeah, it's, she's, yeah, she's a uh, she's she's very. There are certain people who live by a code that culture has told them you're not allowed to do that, and it's like, no, you're not allowed to say on a series that you want to go that this isn't good enough. You're not allowed to do that. So brave. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or a toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film or a part of a cosplay or accessories and play sets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, I'm Armin Schimmerman. And I'm Kitty Swank. 17 years ago, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I didn't know it at the time, but I had a 4% chance of surviving five years. As her husband, I was very scared. But he never let me see that. You are a rock. Thank you. Thank you. Pancreatic cancer is the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States, with a five-year survival rate of just 10%. We want it to be much higher. Much higher. It's 6% better when I was diagnosed, but not high enough. More than 60,000 Americans are estimated to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2021, and more than 48,000 will die from the disease. Because symptoms are often vague, it can be hard to detect. Like the rest of the world, the Star Trek universe has been struck repeatedly by pancreatic cancer. Not only those of us that work on the show, but our fans around the world as well. It is why we came together with so many others to work with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, the leading patient advocates committed to fighting the world's toughest cancer. PanCan is working hard to create better outcomes for this devastating disease through its groundbreaking research and early detection and better treatment options. PanCan drives progress by funding life-saving research, 
providing personalized patient services, and creating a community of supporters and volunteers who will stop at nothing to create a world in which all pancreatic cancer patients will thrive. You can help support their important mission by donating at pancan.org today. We donated. Won't you do so too? Please, make it so. We now return to Trek Untold. All right, well, then now let's go ahead, I guess, and let's just go on deep into some DS9 stuff here. There is so much I want to know, and, uh, you know, we only have an hour, I know, so I've got to condense all this excitement down into one little thing here. But I really want to start at the very top, and we kind of talked about your interpretation of Kira mentally. Uh, I want to go into some of the physicality of Kira, because I think one of her most defining characteristics physically is that walk, the Kira strut. And I would love to know where that came from. I got told to tone it down. <laughs> I... I I got told to, you know, you're you're walking like John Wayne on the promenade. It worked. You, it's, <laughs> but to me, that was all about that was that was all about her armor, her mental armor, and her um, readiness to get into it with whoever might come at her. So, did you approach that walk as kind of maybe something that uh, she used? Externally, it's not really not really her. It's basically a fake thing that she puts on for everybody else. Or did you no, feel like it actually was her? Well, when you're like when you're a dancer on Broadway, you walk a certain way because you think about dancing or you're dancing all day long. So it's just in your bones. It's the way your muscles are trained. So for Kira, she was a fighter and she's trained that way. That's the way she's thinking. She's thinking if someone's coming down the promenade. I he if if he attacks me right now I attack. Right now is the time to hit him in the eyes. You know what I mean? She's constantly no matter what she's thinking about, she's thinking she's got that, you know, which all we as humans have, we're constantly uh looking and uh, looking for dangers. That is heightened in her so that she is ready for danger from whatever direction it comes from, even if she's having a talk with her friend. Yeah, it's been fun kind of rewatching some of the season one stuff in preparation for our chat today, because it's very much apparent that it's like, you know, at that point, especially she's got people who she's willing to open up a little bit to, but she's still very much in her own little world and trying to protect herself. And you can see in, in the way you move, the way that the body has been kind of, you know, the, the little, it's basically the little things. You did such a great job of that. So uh, it's, it's really cool you. to hear that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, kind of bring it back to some more nerdy stuff here too. Uh, I'm, as you can imagine, a Star Trek nerd. Uh, so I collect all sorts of Trek stuff and especially the action figures. And I love hearing uh, about what folks think about their action figures. Cause you got one from DS9 and you got the doll also. You've had uh, a few others, but uh, what did you think of your very first action figure? And most importantly, do you think it looks like you? No, I don't think it looks like me. I think they got the shoulders right. The back of my shoulders is like, oh yeah, that's me. Uh, but it's such a strange a surreal thing to look at a figure, an effigy uh, that's supposed to be a character you're playing. It's it's something where my brain would just refuse to accept the reality. Um, but <laughs> this happened. I my my I think my son was just learning mama when my doll came out, and I had a very large dog. At the time as well. And um, I got it in the mail. I got the little doll. And I don't know if he 
I don't know if he recognized it and so it does look like me or if he happened to be saying mama, but I took it out and he said, Buster said, mama. So I thought, okay, let's, okay, this is probably going to be really weird, but I'm going to hand it to him. And he went, mama, and then gave it to our dog who just, she had, Lulu had huge um, and just uh destroyed it my first doll was destroyed my first effigy but that kind of was like yeah that's kind of perfect <laughs> it's a good way to look at it i'm like trying to mentally break this down here i'm like is there something freudian about that like giving this toy of your mom to a dog to chew on that's that's uh i don't know how to i think it was perfect it was like you know little buddha buster going this is not the thing to concentrate on it's a piece of plastic that will be chewed up and that's true so I know that one kind of, kind of came out a little bit out of left field. Probably uh, is not how we were flowing initially with with the Kira trauma stories, but I kind of wanted to lighten things up for a little bit here because <laughs> uh, yeah, now we're gonna go we're gonna go hard into some of the real tough decisions that Kira had to make. Um, and I want to start season one because one of my personal favorite episodes is Duet, and that episode has uh, Harris Yulin guest starring in that one as a Cardassian war criminal named Maritza, who of course there was more than meets the eye to him. Um, and you know, there's so much really amazing back and forth between you two. It's such an intense thriller, a lot of powerful moments between you two. And, uh, you know, I feel like Harris does not really get the credit he deserves for the skill that he shows because he's really amazing. And I loved his work in this episode. And, um, you know, it feels like you're watching kind of like a Broadway show here. There's like two masters of drama going back and forth. It's like poetry. It's real beautiful. Uh, I'm raving about this because I really like this episode here, but uh, I would love to hear how you guys put this magic together because, you know, from what I know, most of DS9, they don't do rehearsal. You don't do table reads. Just kind of go into things. So where did you find this rapport with him? You just, I mean, I know that Armin Shimmerman held rehearsals for people at his house. And I think people found that hugely helpful. Uh, that was something I never did, probably because I ran home to my son every night. But um, Her- you're right that Harris deserves incredible respect because not only did he turn in that performance but think of it you join a show where the tone you you this is not where where is that it's not Shakespeare it's not sitcom what who knows what that tone is it was very unique and then you put a heavy makeup on and then you give massive amounts of dialogue and go yeah let's just do this and here's an, another actor you've never met. Let's go. So it it's really remarkable what he did. It was a bottle show. It was to save money. So, you know, no special effects or very few. And just the two of us mostly. And it felt like it was going to be a disaster. I remember saying to one of the producers, is this going to cut together? And I think it was a little bit of the off-center emotion of playing all of that, of being so deeply immersed uh, that that made me feel like this is this is going to be a mess. How? What is this? And of course, it's my favorite episode as well. See, I, I didn't know that going into that, so that's that's really awesome to hear because it honestly is one of mine. And uh, you know, it kind of reminds me so much of. Uh, I'm struggling to remember the name right now because it just it just came to me finally. But it reminds me so much of a David Mamet play in that there's this power struggle going on between you two, and that's where so much of the drama lies in it. And that's what I think I love about it so much. And uh, you know, if, if I may just comment to you on this performance from Harris, uh, you know, I think that he really kept you on your toes and challenged you in a different way than Marco Lemo did as Ducat. 
Do you feel the same way about that? Well, he was playing something really interesting. He was he was trying to goad me. Uh, I don't think Ducat even wanted to really goad me. There was something about come here, let me, you know, a spider web kind of thing with Ducat. Um, but with Harris, his character was trying to get me to to punish him. And and it's just heartbreaking. Uh it it broke my heart when he got stabbed. It broke my heart. Now, there's another episode of DS9 I've had the joy of talking about with a few of the performers who were in it, uh, and it's a very uncomfortable episode, and uh, I think that's why a lot of folks don't talk about it, and it's kind of a surprising one to discuss, and that one is Sanctuary. I think it's from season two. I uh, guest starred Deborah May, and the episode is about refugees. It's about these Screen refugees who come to the ship, and they're completely displaced from their homeworld, and they've decided that Bajor is where they want to settle. And so Kira is basically the in-between. She's dealing with Screens and trying to figure out how to keep them okay, while also trying to decide whether or not, you know, she wants these refugees on Bajor. Uh, it's a very, very rough episode in a lot of ways, uh, and it's also more so by the fact that the Screens have this kind of real ugly, pimply makeup going on, and people just don't like even mm-hmm. looking at that. So yeah, I'm now I remember you... that. Yeah, so this is, uh, it's one that I like a lot. It's also, again, something that people don't like to talk about, because it is so topical and still so relevant today. Um, so I'd love to hear if you have any memories from this episode. I don't. I didn't even remember the episode until you started to talk about it. It's It wasn't one that um, burrowed deep in me. It's it's interesting. And, and I haven't, for some reason, seen that. I've seen a lot of uh, a, a lot of DS9 recently, but I've I've missed that one for some reason. It's an interesting one because people like to bring that one up and they'll say it's like, oh, it's one of the worst episodes. But I think it's one of just the hardest ones to watch. And that's why people avoid it. And, you know, interesting. Just, yeah. And I, have you found that as a thing where you know, sometimes there's episodes that just came off very uncomfortable that you think you did like an amazing job on? You think it's an amazing episode, but people don't seem to like it? No, I, I haven't found that. I found that... Um, the the ones that I feel like I told the most truth in seem to stay, seem to to resonate with people. But um, yeah, sometimes the, the subject matter is just something that it's too close. It's just too close. You know, we use that we use that ability for space to put the issues that we have a hard time looking at just a little further into our perspective so that we can deal with them. But sometimes that doesn't work. Well, to follow up on that thought, was there ever an episode that got a little too personal, a little too close for Nana visitor that was maybe too close to home? Mm. The only one that really bothered me was uh, the, the giving birth to the baby. That I I had just given birth and I was still hormonal and to watch a baby wrangler with the baby with, you know, cream cheese and strawberry jam all over it. So co- sets are so cold. It was so cold. The mother wasn't allowed to come to it. It was very, very newborn. And that was like not worth it. Not worth it. Why do we do these things? Real guns on set, not worth it. <laughs> Let's not do it anymore. Yeah, that's interesting, because I've never have thought that would be like one of the real tough episodes for you personally, but it makes sense, I mean, hearing what you went through, and especially, you know, we're talking earlier about mental health. 
So, uh, you know, looking at that point in your life and that time on DS9, how were you keeping yourself together? Were you able to keep yourself together on a day-to-day basis? No, um, but the discipline that I talked about before and the discipline about of being a dancer, I knew how to do my job. It was something that I snapped into no matter what was going on in my life, no matter how I felt. It was, you know, it, it, it was almost something that I had sent to my basal ganglia, like brushing my teeth. It was like, I'm here now. Um, so I was highly functioning um, mess. <laughs> and, and I didn't deal with it until years, years later, years later, did I, did, did I deal with a lot of the trauma that happened during the show and some of it because of the show, it was, it was something I just kind of, because I was so good at that discipline, I had such a hard lock on it that it was almost impossible to, to open that door and let it all out. And yeah, I just want to also thank you right now for being so willing to talk openly about this kind of thing, because I think it's kind of important for folks to to hear this kind of stories and especially hear it from folks they admire. So, uh, you know, just thank you so much for being willing to chat about these kinds of things. Thanks, Matthew. I really think that we need to uh, make humans understand that we are all going through all of this together. There's so many people who feel like their anguish is unusual. It's human. I mean, it's all human. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, if we fast forward a little bit to when DS9 wrapped up and you got to kind of hang up the uniform for a little bit, did you kind of feel like there was a weight off of your shoulders? And I don't just mean the shoulder pads, but uh, did you feel there's kind of like a weight (laughs) lifted from you and that you didn't have to have this burden of being this character who has so much PTSD and all these issues? No, no. You know, to a certain extent, it's like... uh, uh, Stockholm syndrome. I I didn't know how to be without it. Uh, plus, that was my village. Those people were my community, and I didn't. I felt like I was put out. I cried for the last two weeks of the show. I felt like I was being put out of my village. That, that's tough to follow that one up on because that's such a difficult thing to even discuss here. But. Um... Let's go to some happier moments again. It's going to be a lot of this back and forth as I try and figure this one out, too. We're going to such yeah. heavy things. I'm like, I don't even want to have this weight on myself. I can't imagine you carrying it, too. But uh, one of my favorite performances. I'm sorry. Am I being too heavy? That's I, what the well, show does. But even I'm just... <laughs> it's Kira. What are I you going to do? I wasn't prepared for all this weight of Kira because there's so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, on a slighter note here, because uh, there's going to be a lot of this back and forth. Um, one of my favorite performers of all time is Renee. Renee Auberjonois. Uh, I, I and that's get... going to be lighter? Well, let's find out about that, I guess. Uh, let's see how this goes. Right. I mean, I, I will say I was always very disappointed. I never got a chance to meet him in person at a convention. Um, and it's, it's going to haunt me to this day. But I love hearing stories about him. So, um, you know, I'd love to wonder, what's one of the most fond memories you have of working with Renee on set? On set? Well, first of all, I always had a slight crush on Renee when I was a, a, a young girl watching him in I don't know why. Was it Benson? Uh, I don't know why it was his character that I had a crush on, but I did. And there was something about his fabulous way of acting. I just was like, I loved it. And I couldn't believe he was on the show. And then I couldn't believe I got to act with him. And um, I respected him so much that it always felt like, it felt like, 
bring your best game, it's Renee. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine not knowing, of course, I as much as possible, I always knew my lines, but I couldn't imagine going into a scene with Renee and not having everything right there. He was so quick and so prepared and so capable. I mean, people are always shocked when they'll ask me, like, you know, who's your favorite Star Trek character? And I always say Odo without hesitation, because uh, the, the character, you know, the journey that he went on too. it's just there's so much to it. It's basically, you know, my, my two faves, if I can get super nerdy here with you for a moment. It's uh, it's going to be Odo and it's going to be Rom, because I think those two just had such an interesting journey. Wow. Yeah, that uh, is so, interesting. But, you know, in terms of like Odo and, and Kira and, you know, again, this is it's such a complicated love story. And that's also something I found so curious too. like. My very first watching of DS9 Complete uh, it wasn't actually me as a kid. It was basically, I'd say, around 2015, maybe. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, when DS9 first came out, I wasn't really watching Trek as much. So right. when I started watching DS9 uh, for the first time completely, uh, I, I was, like, wondering, you know, is, it's like, you know, if they, it, will they, won't they? It's kind of like, you know, that kind of relationship here. Uh, and Which I, know I for, didn't like. I didn't yeah. like that. I didn't want that. I was like, no, can't, uh, can't. Two people of a different sex be friends. Can't we tell this as a friendship and not do that 90s thing? It was so ubiquitous in the 90s. I had the exact same thoughts, honestly. Will they, won't they? I hated it. I I fought it because of that. I had the same thoughts watching it because I was like, no, no, they're so good the way they are. And I I know like there was that season where Odo basically did kind of let Kira go to Vedic Burial. um, And uh, it's, you know, it's still a really sad episode, but the fact that those two did find their way back together, it's such a unique love story. So, you know, hearing that you were kind of hesitant in the first place to have this will they, won't they kind of thing, uh, what did you think once the writer said, hey, they are? Uh, I thought right away, great, I get more scenes with Renee. <laughs> and uh, then I thought, uh, I I didn't like the handsome hunks that they had cast me with. I thought, you know, the lizard guy on the promenade, why isn't she with someone like that? Why does it have to be this, you know, typical idea of male? So I I realized, no, this is this is perfect. Odo, it's not about his physicality whatsoever. It's about this soul. So I quickly got on board. I can't imagine it wouldn't be a bad thing to be kissing uh, Renee. I mean, I've heard stories from other ladies who've had that moment as well, and uh, they said all good things about that. So, no, 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 no. I didn't have that moment. I did not. It was, it was. I mean, so much rubber that <laughs> you know, it's that we didn't get anywhere close to each other. And then you know, they the people descend upon you to fix the makeup up and gluing you back together okay do another take for the kiss and then they rush at you and it's like gluing your nose back on and so yeah no it's uh i didn't get that experience <laughs> well you know it's kind of funny too because uh you know renee had that giant amount of prosthetics all over him and uh something i hear from a lot of folks who do the heavy prosthetics is their skin is just a mess afterwards i feel like you were pretty lucky in that you really only had the nose piece right you didn't really have a ton of other glue and things on you did you well but think about this i had paint literal paint on my face so that none of my blood show showed through so that it would so I'd look like I was all rubber it you know because they couldn't get this piece to look like skin so they got the rest of my face to look like rubber so that was pretty it was it was hard on my skin I I still have 
I still have a red mark from pulling my nose off. <laughs> and yeah. and it just, I cannot somehow cover it enough. No matter what I do, it's like it's there. Uh, I only pulled my nose off after work the first year. And then I went, oh, that was really a bad idea. But it would take 20 minutes with, you know, getting it off. And it was like at three in the morning, it's the last thing you want to be doing. But I got to say, and, you know, I know we're on Zoom right now, but your skin is just like amazing. I mean, I'd love to know what your routine is because, I mean, wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, now I make up for it. You know, now I make up for those seven years, which didn't feel like seven years. It felt like dog years. So be 49 years. I did Star Trek for 49 years of my life. That's how I feel. But now, you know, sleep. Sleep is a magical thing. Sleep and water. So, you know, on this show, we talk to a lot of folks who have appeared on episodes of DS9 and other treks, and a lot of times it's just one episode, and then they're off to do other things in their career. But uh, you know, I'm wondering if maybe there's like one guest star who you really loved working with, and uh, you have any stories about them? Louise Fletcher. Uh, I love Louise Fletcher. Oh, my God. First of rivalry. all, I was so impressed that Louise Fletcher was doing our show. I couldn't believe it. And she has such dignity. And I mean, it's undeniable. I cannot imagine anyone treating her with anything less than respect. It's just the way she carries herself. And then she has this laugh that's, we would be laughing and she's got this little girl laugh that's, you know, it's giggling uncontrollable. And then we'd go and do this scene where she's being just horrible to me. And it was such a strange juxtaposition, but that's her ability. But it's a lot of fun to be a bad guy too, isn't it? I mean, you got to basically believe that what you're doing is actually good. And, uh, you know, Kai Wynn was someone that definitely believed that. And Louise just embodied that so perfectly. Such, And it's not just that she was, you know, an evil character because she wasn't. Uh, she felt like she was doing the correct thing, the right thing all the time. So yeah. sometimes being really certain can be evil. That's and true. she was very certain she was right. That's very true. And I just, you know, again, we're talking about some of the adversarial things with like Harris Eulen's character and Louise Fletcher and you. It's like, you know, Ali versus Foreman. It's that much kind of a back and forth. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I remember a friend at the time. I, I, it was almost like I got so used to being confrontational with people that if something, I remember something happening in a club with a girlfriend of mine and I came up against this person and another friend said, you know, Nanat, you're actually a small person. You're you're not big and it's not going to work that you'll be able to flip this person like you do on DS9. <laughs> it's a good thing to remember. Although I can tell you, I have spoken to Dennis Madalone on this show and he's had very, very good things to say about you and how you kick people's butts. Ah, danger. Dennis, danger. He was he was really great. Um you know what? He never condescended. He took the time to teach us and to make us look good. And all the women fighting, I think, on that show look great. And it was it it wasn't my experience all the time with stunt people. Yeah, Dennis is pretty amazing here. And, uh, you know, we love talking to our stunt people on this show. And again, he had such great things to say about you. I mean, uh, I think there's one fight in particular where I, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this. That I heard you did actually accidentally bop somebody. Uh, do you remember a day like that? 
Um, I think I know the episode yeah. if it helps refresh your memory because I think it might have been not positive. It might have been the one that where John Fleck was guesting as a Cardassian. I don't know if that's the right one though. It was a woman. I was okay. I was fighting a woman, and uh, we talked about it. I wish I remembered this better. All I know is that by accident, you know, we were being like, no, we'll make sure we're pulling it. Be careful. I don't want to do anything. Being so politically correct with each other over this fight. And then by accident, she actually hit me. She was trying to pull a punch, but she hit me. And immediately I could feel rage flare in me and I hit her. And we ended up laughing and they had to cut. But it got out of control really fast. It's like there's an old saying in boxing, your game plan goes out the window as soon as you get hit. So I, yeah, I that sounds like yeah. what you experienced. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to uh, talk with you right now about another episode that uh, I think is one of the hardest to watch for me. And uh, that episode is Ties of Blood and Water. Uh, this one has Lawrence Pressman. He's returning as to Kenny Gamore, who is basically Kira's Cardassian dad. We've seen him back in season three. And here we are now in season five where he returns. Uh, where he's basically coming to tell you that he has a terminal illness and that he wants to tell you as much as he can to help with the war effort against the Dominion. And, uh, you know, it, it goes out saying this is a really sad episode here, but if you remember this one, I mean, how did you feel about this material? Because this is something that can get, I imagine, very personal very quickly. Uh, first of all, kudos to Lawrence Pressman. Not only just a lovely man, but a lovely actor, and played that so beautifully. Uh, and to the writers, I kudos to the writers to give Kira the opportunity to have loving relationships with Cardassians. You know, I, I certainly didn't want to be um, a lover of Dukat's uh, that I fought, but to, to have these, to, you know, um, in duet, in in this episode you're talking about, those were huge opportunities to show her. Duet was really the start of that. It was the first time she goes, wait a minute, I don't need to look at every single Cardassian with bias. And she was incredibly biased before that. And that, that steady movement happened throughout the show. Now, this episode was also directed by Avery Brooks, and uh, I'm curious to know, you know, number one, what it's like to be directed by Avery, and uh, did he help you along the way with this particular episode to kind of find your way into it? He's a He was a wonderful director on this show. He directs uh, like we're music, like we're musical instruments. It's a feeling as if he's a conductor. He'll go, oh, I want that. In, in the scene. So whatever it is that he go or he goes, ah, you know, <laughs> and it's just that that's the direction. And which is brilliant because he's giving you a present to open by yourself. He's not spoon feeding anything. He's saying, take this and make it yours. And uh, whatever you think that is, whatever your concept of eh is, do that. And it's I I found it brilliant and I loved it and I understood it. It was go, just work from your subconscious. It, turn your PFC off just a little bit. Turn it down anyway, so you can access everything in this scene. 
And if you don't mind me getting a little bit more personal here, because it's not like we haven't done that this entire episode so far. But, uh, you know, this episode, again, it's a very sad one because you're basically watching someone who, you know, in this case, Kira, this is someone that Kira loves very dearly, and they're now on the way out. Uh, did you channel any memories for yourself to kind of get yourself into the mindset of handling this kind of a story? I, I, well, I mean, talking about subconscious, you have memories and feelings that you store, but I didn't. You know, I didn't send myself to the file cabinet to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, who have you lost? Ah, here's the set of emotions. I, what I did was uh, unlock the, the subconscious a little bit by turning down the PFC. And then what happens is the truth of the moment, it's this man, it's this man I'm losing. It's these bits of history we shared together it's this piece of jewelry that's important you know and and so that all floods in for kira so it's not nana trying to recreate or manufacture something it's just happening so is that kind of like your approach to acting is that you kind of want you let the characters speak for themselves. You don't really pull from your own personal stories. Uh, it, well, but I'm pulling from this from the subconscious. I'm pulling from this brain and this body and how this brain and this body has responded in all the information it's ever had. It's it. That's what I'm working with. But yes, uh, the character needs to speak. I need to shut up for three minutes and let the character have its time to live. I mean, it's no wonder that being Kira was so tough because, man, you're putting a lot of weight on yourself with that. I mean, <laughs> that's that's got to be not easy to handle, especially with episodes like this. Yeah, no, it isn't. No, you're uh, I didn't. There wasn't a makeup artist coming in and putting tears in mm -hmm. or, you know, my my breathing heavily it was my body was responding to the thoughts that i dropped into my brain so i was living that truth so i could use some uh, mom and Nana wisdom here and it, this does relate to this episode because this is a painful one uh, for my girlfriend uh, her dad battled for years against cancer and other illnesses and as time went on you know this, this episode has become more and more difficult for her to watch mm. and you know ds9 has been her comfort show so, you know, just not that long ago, her dad did pass away. And one of the things she told me was like, I can never watch this episode again, because it just reminded her so much of the struggles that she saw her dad go through and the way she felt like she saw herself as Kira watching her father go through all this and then ultimately pass. Uh, so, you know, it, it's such a tough episode because you do become Gamora's caretaker. And that's something that this episode doesn't really talk too much about, but it shows a little bit of it. You become a caretaker. You go through this ordeal mentally and physically of dealing with that until he ultimately declines to the end. So, you know, we've already talked about the how personal it was for you, whether, you know, what you pulled to make this episode work for you. But uh, I want to get some wisdom here and, and more so, you know, for my girlfriend and anybody else who's grieving parental loss. Uh, do you have any insight into how somebody can work through these emotions and, and get to a better place of healing? Well, first of all, I think that if you want to put boundaries, do it for a while. Um, certainly, I, I can see that as self-care. If there's a piece of music, why? Why put yourself through it? Um, but we, when we start to push down one emotion, we push everything down. When you learn to, and it's a learning curve with this, 
uh, it certainly was with me, the uncomfortable feelings of mourning and allowing that um, when when we accept it and learn to tolerate it, we also learn to allow the joy and it's it's our human capacity. So why wouldn't we use it? And when losing a parent um, is human and maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe people told her she had to uh, mourn in a way that she didn't feel was right for her. You know, I mean, there's no one way to go through grief. Everyone has their own way and goes through it in their own way and should be allowed to. And I think it's when you go, no, I'm supposed to do this. Or the culture tells me I'm supposed to feel this now. Or I'm supposed to be over it by now. That's when you get into trouble, I think. So my thing is, if she's not ready for that, I get it. There there were things on TV that I could not watch. Um, but there is something to say um, for exposure therapy and crying and allowing. And sometimes a show like that can be a tool for seeing that it's okay to feel. You know, I feel like one of the things that they don't prepare you for when you do a Star Trek show is the fact that you're going to have fans who love the character so much that they are, you know, they feel connected to them in such a deep way that they wouldn't feel on a different kind of show. We were talking a little bit earlier about your Instagram page, because that's basically such a source of amazing knowledge and insight and, uh, and introspection, really, as well, that you're giving to so many people on your page. And, um, you know, Star Trek fans, they, I imagine they're coming up to you at conventions. They're bearing their soul to you. It's a little bit like I was just doing here. Uh, so, you know, I'd love to know, how does that responsibility feel? I mean, this is something you probably weren't told in day one, like, hey, you're going to have throngs of fans telling you their deepest things. Uh, I mean, how do you handle this kind of a weight? Well, first of all, it happened before Mama Nana, before the Instagram page, that people would, uh, it just, it was like just a human response. They'd say, I'm going through this, uh, your character, because, you know, the character would be an avatar, went through something similar. And so they want to speak about it. And to me, the fact, Matthew, that you will talk about something you're wondering about and I don't know, but this is my experience. And I tell you, this to me is where we need to be. We need to be in community and talk and go, I don't know, but here's what I think. And and talk about the hard things. And the more we talk about the hard things, you know, what? what's the line from uh, light only shines in the dark? <laughs> Star Trek line, you know, uh, but... The other idea is put some light on it. It it it's a lot less scary, and light is talking about it. We all feel so alone and and apart. And I started Instagram because of the pandemic. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand seeing so many young people having huge anxiety. And I had had so much work done on anxiety. I had such massive anxiety that. Um, I learned stuff about it and I learned just, just really practical things to do about anxiety. So why wouldn't I share that? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I really love about your Instagram page. Cause you are just so open to connecting with the fans and giving so much of yourself, which cannot be easy to do. So, you know, I've said it earlier in the show, but I'll say it again, you know, thank you for being so willing to be open like this to be, and you really are an open book and that you've been like that for this interview 
on social media. So it's, it's quite a gift you've given all of us. Thanks. But I don't think I, on Instagram, it's not fans. It's these humans that there have been a few people that I speak to offline. One man who was going through dying by himself. And to me, I can't think of a better use of my time than just witnessing and going through it and going, I know, I don't know, but here I am with you. Let's just talk about stupid things if you want. I think it's a perfect segue to uh, not end this episode on a sad note. Let's talk about some stupid things. Uh, <laughs> okay, stupid things. <laughs> yes, I know, I get way too stuff. heavy. Kira and me. At what, <laughs> but it's just, you know, at this point, it's just we're kind of fused. Let's get stupid here, if you will. Uh, okay. Let's talk about one of, uh, and this will be one of our last things that we'll, we'll talk about today in the show, because I could go for hours, and uh, I don't, I don't want to keep you here for hours, but um, one of my personal favorites is Move Along Home. This is a controversial episode. <laughs> I love that reaction already. We're off to a good start. I mean, it's it's a very controversial episode. People call this one of the worst episodes of Star Trek ever. I yeah. really like this episode. Um, but let's just start at the top of this one here. What do you remember from filming this bizarre episode? Did you question this from, from the beginning? Or were you, were you just like, hey, it's my job. I'm going to do this. I remember I remember doing that, you know, one, two, whatever, buckle my shoe, whatever that thing is, uh, with the rest of the cast and going, thank God I'm Kira, because I can just be hating this as much as I do. And I remember looking at Avery, who was doing it so with all his heart and all his musical abilities, you know, doing the hopscotch stuff. It really was. And <laughs> I just, I hated it. I, Nana found it humiliating and Kira found it humiliating. And I was just lucky that that those two things worked out. Yeah, that's one of the best parts is hearing Avery Brooks sing it. And he's like on perfect key and perfect pitch <laughs> when he does it. It's like no one else even is, is on his level when he's singing that stupid song. <laughs> out there doing it <laughs> count to four only Avery Brooks can do that and get away with it and make it still sound manly I know I know it's true I don't remember much else about that episode that makes sense um, it's a bunch of repressed memories from yeah it's probably one of those things that I need to dig out of my soul and all kinds of other harpies will come flying out who knows <laughs> um but yeah uh that that was that was pretty funny um, we didn't have a lot of funny moments on the set. I mean, you, I don't know who had fun, but it wasn't really us. We were serious, but it was, it was, it was a dark show. So from what you remember of this episode though, I mean, do you agree with the fans who say this is one of the worst episodes ever? Do you think I it's think a bad rap? That's fair. No, I yeah. think that's fair. <laughs> no hesitation. I think that's fair. Look, you're you're not going to be great all the time. And I think we had unbelievable episodes. So, of course, sometimes we missed. Totally. But look how prescient some of these things are. You it, the, the subject matter it was un, it's unbelievable. And, you know, you kind of have to touch on um, Mr. Brooks's performance in um, Please Help Stars. Me. Yes. I knew right away. Yep. <laughs> yes. It's what a beautiful script they wrote, and he did an amazing job starring and directing in it. All right. So, Nana, as we wrap up this interview here, last thing, and this is, again, I started the show with a question I love to ask all my guests. I'm going to end it the same way. What's the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? The community. 
I I think of Star Trek now as um, this big bonfire in the night and we all gather around it and the bonfire is definitely the point, but uh, so are we. I can't top that at all. So uh, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> uh, I just want to wrap this one up by, again, saying thank you so much for really just how honest and open you've been. I mean, that's such an amazing thing that you're you're doing here on the show, doing with your Instagram, just being you. And and I love that. Uh, and, you know, I got to tell you, this is a story I told Armin Sherman when I had him on the show for the first time. And I'm going to tell you also because I left this part out. But my very first Star Trek convention was 2016. And that was in New York. And uh, I had never really met any Star Trek folks before. So I got online, I think it was like Sunday morning. And I wanted to get you and Armin's autograph. And I got there and I was so intimidated. Once you guys showed up, I was like, I can't do this. I ran off, had a super anxiety attack. And uh, yeah, now I just got an hour with you. So, uh, you know, I just want to tell you that story because it's horribly embarrassing. But also just again to thank you for, you know, being willing to chat this long, be so open. And uh, yeah, you're awesome. You're amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the character of Kira Reese kind of changed the way I looked at women also. And I wanted to get myself a Kira. So I think I got one nowadays. And I, I think that's such that. an important thing. So. You know, again, thank you so much. Um, you have my deepest gratitude. I'm going to keep rambling, but just know I'm very thankful for you being here. Thank you, Matthew. I've enjoyed it. And that was our chat with the Nob Visitor, which was really, really awesome. I, I got to tell you guys, you know, I had my question list ready. And really, this interview just went completely derailed almost immediately because, you know, I knew certain episodes and certain things I wanted to talk about. But I actually didn't expect for us to go into the trauma thing so quickly. And, you know, luckily, I've had the opportunity to talk with so many other folks who have dealt with this. And I've had these discussions on the show before that... I was able to kind of go into this thing a little bit easier, but man, you know, it, it's really interesting to think about just the the difficulties of playing a character like Kieran Reese and looking at it through her eyes, especially now getting that insight, that very personal insight of the person who played her. It just adds so much more depth to that role and makes me appreciate it even more than I did before. I very much hope that experience was the same for you today, because this is one of those episodes that I'm never going to forget. So that is a wrap for episode 100 of Trek Untold. And the big question now is, well, what's next for this podcast? Well, that is a very big question, but the good news is more Trek Untold is coming. More Trek Untold is on the way. And truth be told, I've actually already recorded like the next 10 episodes for this podcast as we're talking right now. But the bad news is I am going to take a little vacation from the show just to kind of collect myself. And I did this, I think maybe about 40 episodes ago also, where I took about two month break more or less to kind of get things together, work on some other projects, and more or less just kind of take a personal break too. Making this podcast is an incredibly rewarding experience for me, not just because I get to talk to all these amazing people, but also because I get to connect with you. But making this podcast is also not easy, and to be quite honest, I don't quite think I went into super detail about this, but the reason I initially took that first big two-month break, or whatever it ended up being, was because I actually started a new job. So I wasn't actually taking a vacation, really, or anything like that. It was more the fact that I had to spend some time getting acclimated to this new job. And now here we are many, many months later. I'm now a year into this job, and yeah, I need to take a little more time as well because there's some things I wanted to do back when I initially took that little break that I didn't quite do yet. So to kind of reiterate some of what those things were, the first thing is the fact that I want to make some changes to, well, Trek Untold itself. One of the things I actually talked about way back in like episode 60 or whatever it was I took that break, I can't remember, but I wanted to start doing a smaller video series called Tales from Trek Untold. And what that's meant to be is me taking pieces of all these many interviews I have to tell one cohesive Star Trek story, or even maybe not Star Trek, but just other stories about other things. And essentially making clips for the show, which is something I should have been doing a long time ago. So I'm going to finally spend some time actually making Tales from Trek Untold, and that's going to come to you also in audio form. It's going to be on YouTube, and it's going to be in audio form. I don't know where it's going to end up first, but that's going to be one of the first things I focus on is making more clips, which I think will also help this podcast grow. 
In turn, you're also going to see a lot of those clips start popping up on social media too, because I'm going to make some really short little maybe minute long clips just to make sure folks know what I'm doing out there. Because in my opinion, one of the things I haven't done enough of is using my social media to a more effective way. So again, I need some time to work on these things. But just beyond Trek Untold 2, there are some other things I've been neglecting for a while, some other projects I want to work on. So I'm going to take this time to not only keep making new episodes of Trek Untold, make these tales from Trek Untold finally, and also work on maybe some of the other elements of the show, but also maybe just do a few other things for a little while. This podcast is not an easy show to put together, but it is a labor of love. I'm jealous of a lot of other shows out there who have multiple hosts on the show who can share the different duties of doing things. But for this podcast, it's primarily me doing all the work. I'm doing the research, I'm doing the shooting of the interviews, I'm conducting the interviews, I'm doing all the editing afterwards, and then I'm doing all the social media and pretty much anything else that happens in between this workflow. I should, of course, give a shout out to Rich Butler over on the RageWorks Network because he is one of the people who is one of my quality control guys. And this podcast is hosted by the RageWorks Podcast Network. So I do recommend if you haven't checked out any other shows that are on that network, go ahead and make sure you do that now. But again, for the most part, this show is primarily done by me, and that takes a lot out of me to do every single week. So part of the plan for this break is not really to just stop cold turkey, but again, to do a lot of other things, and also to keep going on Trek Untold, but with the intent of essentially making another full season. My goal is to make basically, let's say, 25 episodes to then say, hey, this is season three of Trek Untold, we can let her rip out the door, and I don't have to worry about it for a while. And that'll be great for my mental health, personally, because yeah, this show does take a toll on me. And it's one I volunteer to do each and every week. I don't feel bad about it, and I don't want you to feel bad about it either, because it is what it is. That's kind of the process of how these things get made. But I don't want to get burnt out. I don't ever want this show to become a chore. So, yeah, it's going to be time for a little bit of a break from Trek Untold, but we will be back not too off in the distant future. So I hope that you'll stick around. And if you are one of the newer fans of this show, I hope you'll go ahead and check back to the archives, because we've got a lot of older episodes, especially way back at the start of the show, because there are some shows way back that I think are criminally under-listened to, and I definitely recommend it. If you haven't heard some of the earlier episodes, do go back and check them out. So with that all said, I do want to make sure I stress this very important thing now, and that's once again to thank you, the fans, thank you, the audience members out there who keep coming back to Trek Untold each and every week to see what's happening and to meet our new guests. I wouldn't do this show if I didn't love doing it. And every week, it's such an honor to share these things with you. So thank you for coming back every week to listen on the podcast. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Thank you for supporting me on social media. Especially extra thank you if you're one of my Patreon supporters out there, because I know I don't do enough for you guys yet, and that's going to change also when I come back for episode 101. And just thank you for being a member of the Star Trek community, because this really is one of the best fandoms out there. I don't spend a lot of time on social media in general and really interacting with the fans as much as I should. And when I say that, I don't just mean fans of the show, I mean fans of Star Trek itself. But I have found this to be such a welcoming community that it's hard not to want to get invested more into this. So that's going to be one of my goals also when I come back, is spend a lot more time connecting with everybody out there on social media and just becoming more of a part of the Star Trek community. So you all have my eternal interstellar cosmic gratitude for being a part of this Trek Untold journey, and I'm so, so happy that you keep coming back each week to hear what's going on in this show. My rambling words don't really do it justice, but that's really the truth. So please stay tuned for Trek Untold Season 3 coming very soon. I can already tell you, like I said, I've interviewed a bunch of folks already, and I've got some really cool stories that I cannot wait to share with all of you. So please stick around, because there's more Trek Untold coming very, very soon. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold, and thank you for checking it out. One more time, if you're not following us on social media, please do so by checking us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Trek Untold. That's all one word, no spaces, on any of those platforms. If you want to check out the video version of this podcast to see our guests, head over to youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday, where I post the video version of this show every Sunday after the initial episode airs on Thursdays. Shout out to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions who create 3D-printed toys and prop replicas inspired by Star Trek. Their items come in all shapes and all sizes and are always amazing. If you're in a position to financially support Trek Untold, 
please consider heading over to patreon.com slash truckuntold to become one of our Patreon supporters. There's a lot of cool perks that you can get by becoming a Patreon supporter, including early access to the episodes, the ability to ask our guests questions, and a lot more cool stuff coming very soon. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or any other audio platforms that you listen to the show on that allow you to do so. Or if you're one of our YouTube audience members, please make sure you comment on this video and give it a thumbs up, and don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz. This has been Trek Untold, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.